Jim, if you want to come up, this is Jim Fox. Um, He is with Chosen People Ministries from Brooklyn, New York, now in South Florida. And he told me last night, like, Imperial is exactly like South Florida. <laughs> um, only, only exactly the opposite. Other than that, they're, they're pretty, pretty similar. Enjoyed spending time with him last night. He's going to speak to us about um, seeing Messiah in the fall festivals of Judaism. Jim, let's welcome Jim this morning. Shalom. That, that was kind of weak. Shalom. Shalom means peace. It's also used for hello and goodbye. Uh, Again, my name is Jim Fox with Chosen People Ministries. Chosen People Ministries has been reaching out to Jewish people with the gospel since 1894. Just to answer a couple of quick questions, I was not there at the beginning. Uh, My kids like to remind me how old I am. I'm not quite that old yet. Secondly, uh, some people ask, am I Jewish? And I hope I'm not disappointing anybody, but I'm not. Many people on our staff are Jewish, but I got saved through a ministry of Chosen People Ministries as a child. So to me, the gospel has always been a Jewish message, so I hope that that's acceptable. If that's not acceptable, my wife Rebecca is Jewish, and she apologizes that she couldn't be here. Uh, She's helping to take care of our three-year-old grandson, but... uh, Maybe that helps that she's Jewish, even though I'm not. Uh, And if that's not enough, my Jewish wife about four years ago gave me a kidney. So I have a Jewish kidney floating around in here. So I can actually say I'm part Jewish. Uh, It's just a kidney, though. Uh, So, again, it's a a blessing to be here. I want to take just a moment. In your bulletins, you should have these brochures. Can you take them out now? If you don't have some, we have some on the book table in the back. But I want you to open them up. And there is a perforation on one of the sides. I just want you to bend that, and we're going to see how united you are as a church. Don't pull it yet. I'm going to count to three and see if we can all pull together. Okay, can we do this? One, two, three. That was actually pretty good. I'm impressed. This first half you could take and put in your Bible or in your pocketbook. Any place where you might remember to read it, this will tell you more about Chosen People Ministries and about my wife and I. Uh, We minister in South Florida. I don't know if you're aware of this, but South Florida is the second largest Jewish population in the United States. Uh, First is the New York City area, then there's South Florida, then there's the Los Angeles area. So we we would covet your prayers. And along those lines, I would ask you to take the brochure, the, the part with the small logo on top, and take the time this morning just to fill out your name and address or your name and your email address. By filling those things out, you receive two things. One, you receive the Chosen People newsletter, and we have some sample copies in the back. But the Chosen People newsletter is a wonderful source of not only telling you about what's going on in our ministry throughout the world. We're in 17 different countries throughout the world. But it also has information about the feasts, about how to share uh, Jesus with your Jewish friends. Uh, There's some Bible study tools there as well. So I think you would really be encouraged through our newsletter. But also you'll receive our monthly prayer letter, which will let you know what's going on in our life and our ministry in South Florida so you could be praying for us. The scripture tells us that the battle, especially to reach Jewish people with the gospel, is a spiritual battle. Uh, and we need you to be praying. So please take the time to do that, and you can put that in the offering. We also have books for sale, as Pastor was sharing. There's one book that I want to bring to your attention. 
It's this book, Isaiah 53, explained. It's a wonderful tool to reach Jewish people with the gospel. Now, I know uh, Imperial is, is not the bastion of Jewish community. I, I understand that there's not a... But I, I'm, I'm sure that some of you know Jewish people. How many of you know Jewish people? Okay, some of you do. Uh, listen, this book is designed to reach them with the gospel. If you would be willing... Uh, to take a copy, to read it, and to pass it on to that Jewish person you know. Uh, this book is yours for free. The rest are for sale. But our, our main goal is to see Jewish people come to faith in their Messiah. And so we have this tool available for you. There's also some cards there with some websites uh, that would be good for you to check out. Again, they're, they're more evangelistic in nature. This is actually a picture from our summer program uh, called Shalom, New York, and it's uh, a wonderful opportunity in the summertime to go to the streets of New York. You spend the mornings basically learning how to sh- share your faith, and then we throw you onto the streets of, of New York to talk to Jewish people about Jesus, uh, under supervision, of course. Now, listen, if you could share your faith with Jewish people in New York City, you could share your faith with anybody. So it, it's a wonderful opportunity. If you're interested in a short-term mission trip, uh, take advantage of that. But today, we're here to talk about Messiah and the Fall Feasts of Israel. Before we get into that, let's have a word of prayer again together. Lord God, we do want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for this church and its willingness to, to hear about these things, Lord. We pray that our minds and our hearts would op- be open to you, and, and we thank you for the truths that we even sang about this morning, that, that you are holy, that you have a plan from the beginning to the end and you're working it out, that we have no reason to fear because you hold us in your hand. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, again, uh, the fall feasts are, are, are important, but I, I'm going to say a word now, and I don't want you to react strongly to it. I know that some people have very strong reactions to this world, word, and, and I, I don't want to, to trouble you too de- deeply, but the, the word is Leviticus. Uh, so uh, I want you to turn to Leviticus chapter 23, and, and I know how, how fear strikes at us when we hear Leviticus, because we can't relate to it on so many different levels. Uh, it, it talks about sacrifices in a temple that you know we don't really think about. It talks about all these rituals that the Jewish people had to keep. But uh, again, all scripture is inspired by God. I know you people understand that. And so we can't toss away the book of Leviticus. And we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 23. Because Leviticus chapter 23, God gives the Jewish people a list of holidays for the year. Uh, And uh, we're going to look at some of them. We're going to just preview the ones that occur in the spring. We're going to talk and focus primarily on the ones in the fall. But as you'll see, they're very, very significant to us. Okay. Uh, There we go, just the beginning of the chapter, just to give an overview. Verses 1 through 3 talk about the Sabbath. Now, you could say the Sabbath really isn't a holiday. Why would he throw that into the very beginning there? Because the Sabbath has great significance. The Sabbath ultimately is uh, a remembrance of God's creative work. Basically, God made the, the universe in six days. He rested on the seventh. 
And so it reminds us that God is creator, God is king, God has the right to set the times and seasons. And that's what he's establishing from the very beginning there by talking about the Sabbath. Uh, The first holiday that's actually mentioned, it's actually two that are combined together now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread in verses 4 through 8. Now to be honest with you, I can give a month worth of messages just on the Passover itself. It is such a powerful holiday. It's that holiday that speaks about how God, God delivered his people from their slavery in Egypt, uh, how he rescued them with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Uh, there are many, many images within the Passover that are valuable for us as Christians, but perhaps the greatest uh, surrounds that 10th plague. Does anyone remember what the 10th plague was? It was the death of the firstborn, right? And God said to the Jewish people, if you want your firstborn to live, you know, it's interesting that the, the Egyptians experienced most of the plagues and the Jewish people didn't. But when it came to this 10th plague, no one was exempt. He said, if you want your firstborn to live, you need to take a lamb, a perfect spotless lamb. You need to kill it and put the blood on the top and the sides of the doorpost of your home. And God said, when I see that blood... I will pass over your home and the firstborn will live. Well, the scripture basically tells us as we go into the New Testament that Jesus is our perfect spotless lamb. That because of his blood applied to the doorpost of our heart, the angel of death passes over us so that we can have life. Uh, He frees us from our bondage to sin and death. It's such a, a vivid picture for us. And uh, again, perhaps we can have the opportunity to share about that some other time. But the thing I want you to keep in mind here is that Jesus not only fulfills the Passover, but he died at Passover time. He died at Passover time. The second feast is the Feast of First Fruits. That's verses 9 through 14. And God basically said to the Jewish people when he gave the law, when you get to the land, you're going to start planting and you're going to start harvesting. But in the spring, when you harvest those first fruits, God says, I want you to give them to me. Now, that's against human nature. Human nature says, well, the first fruits I want to hold on to because I want to be safe. Because who knows what's going to happen during the harvest? You can have flood, you can have drought, you can have famine. So many things can happen to wipe out that harvest. We should hold on to the first fruits to make sure that we have at least something. But God says, no, you need to give that to me and leave the rest of the harvest up to me. Uh, There's a lesson in there for us, isn't there? We have a tendency to think in our typical human way, We need to take care of ourselves and our families when we get our income in. And then, if we're able to, we'll give. Uh, God wants us to give our first and our best to him. Uh, Listen, if you choose to give to chosen people, if you don't choose to give to chosen people today, you know, that's that's up to you. But when you give to, to the Lord and to his work, think that he desires your first and your best. Uh, So please keep that in mind. Uh, But the important thing that I want you to think about with this is the timing. If you read that passage, this Feast of First Fruits takes place the day after the Sabbath, after the Passover. So follow me. Jesus died at at Passover. He spent the Sabbath in the grave. What happened the day after the Sabbath? What day was that? It was Sunday, and what happened that Sunday? Jesus rose from the dead. Don't lose sight of that. 
What does the scripture say? That Jesus is the first fruits from the dead. He fulfills the feast of first fruits on the feast of first fruits. Uh, next is the feast of weeks. It's, it's called Shavuot in the Hebrew, uh, but it's also called by another name. It's called the feast of Pentecost. Now, again, when Jesus died at Passover, he rose on first fruits. That feast of Pentecost came. It's a, basically another feast of first fruits. But what happened on that feast of Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came, fell among those early believers, and began what we call today to be the church, a first fruit of a different kind. But again, it was fulfilled on that day. Each of these feasts had their fulfillment in Jesus' first coming. Don't lose sight of that. Let's actually get into the, the passage for today. Leviticus, we'll start in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 23. Again, it says, again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel saying, in the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. This is known as the Feast of Trumpets. And it's a very interesting feast because if you look through Scripture about this feast, if you look in the Old Testament for more detail, this is about all that you'll find. There's a blowing of trumpets. Uh, It's supposed to be a day of solemn rest, and there were certain sacrifices. Other passages will go into detail about the sacrifice, but they won't answer one important question. And the question is, uh, why the blowing of the trumpet? Why the blowing of the trumpet? It just doesn't answer that question. Now, the rabbis hate a void. So the rabbis see this, and they say, well, we need to think of a reason why the trumpet is blown. And basically, within Judaism, there are two reasons why the trumpet is sounded. One is they say that the trumpet is actually sounded because it's a memorial of creation. They actually believe, and this is not scriptural, they say that God created humanity on this holiday, this Feast of Trumpets, and that's why the trumpet is sounded. That's why this holiday has another name within Judaism. It's called Rosh Hashanah, or the head of the year. In fact, if you know Jewish people, they'll they'll consider this the new year, and they'll wish each other a happy new year at this time of the year. The interesting thing is, if you remember the passage we just read, it said it's the seventh month. That doesn't sound like a new year. And the, the thing is, within Judaism, they end up having two calendars. It's the same calendar, but they have two beginnings. They have the, the spiritual calendar, the holiday calendar, which begins in the month of Passover. But then they have the civil calendar, which they say begins in the seventh month. Is that confusing enough for you? Uh, but, but the thing I want you to remember is that there's the blowing of the trumpet, And they say it's not only remembrance of creation, uh, but they also say it's a call to repentance. The reason they say this is the next holiday in the fall is the Day of Atonement. And there's 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and that Day of Atonement. Uh, Those 10 days have a very special name. They're called the the Days of Awe, A-W-E. And within Judaism, again, There's tradition that is evident here, and the tradition says that on Rosh Hashanah, on this Feast of Trumpets, 
God in heaven opens up the book of life. And he keeps it open for these 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and the Day of Atonement. And God, between those 10 days, looks at Jewish people and decides whether their name is going to be written for life for that year. Then it's closed on the Day of Atonement. So think about the mindset of especially religious Jewish people at this time. They're thinking about getting right, being repentant. Even Jewish people who don't, aren't necessarily nice people the rest of the year, they'll be serious uh, about doing good deeds and doing all these things because they want their name to be written for life for that year. Again, it's not scriptural. Uh, it's not scriptural, but it's, it's what Jewish tradition has become. So that blowing of the trumpet is a call to repentance to prepare their hearts for the Day of Atonement. So let's look at the Day of Atonement. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets is a call to repentance. The Day of Atonement speaks of redemption. And as I read this passage on the Day of Atonement, I want you to listen very carefully. There are going to be two ideas Two thoughts that are repeated throughout the passage. So I'm going to quiz you on this after we're done. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, On exactly the tenth day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. And you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. You shall not do any work on the same day. For it is a day of atonement to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. If there is any person who will not humble himself on the same day, he shall be cut off from his people. As for any person who does any work on the same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no work at all. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you. And you shall humble your souls. On the ninth of the month at evening, from evening until evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Now, this is the Day of Atonement. What, what two ideas were repeated during that passage? Now, what? Okay. You need to humble yourself, and you shall do no work. In fact, there are some strong comments there. If anyone does any work... Uh, on that day, they need to be destroyed. They will be destroyed from among their... God was serious about that, uh, about the fact that they shall do no work. Now listen, if you're here and for some reason you've tuned me out already, you need to listen to this. If you don't hear anything else that I say, listen to this. When it comes to the work of atonement, when it comes to the work of paying the price for our sin... We can do no work. Do you hear that? We can do no work. Uh, let's, let's talk about this for a little bit. Uh, Leviticus 17.11 makes it very plain, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So let's talk about how the Day of Atonement was observed in biblical times. What God actually required. The Day of Atonement was not one of the pilgrim feasts. There were three feasts where everyone was supposed to go up, all the men, to, to Jerusalem to worship. That was the Passover. That was the Day of Pentecost, the, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles that we'll talk about. Everyone was supposed to be home. Everyone was supposed to be uh, not working 
And everyone was supposed to be humbling themselves. Why? Because it was all the work of the high priest. Think of the way the temple was laid out. Uh, There was the outer court, then there was a holy place, and then there was the holy of holies. No one was ever allowed in the holy of holies. The scripture said, if you go into the holy of holies, you will die, because that's the presence of God. Uh, If the high priest went into the holy of holies on any other day, scripture said he would die. If the high priest went into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, but didn't follow all of the rituals and rules that God had laid out about the blood that needed to be carried in and the the dress and the cleansings and everything that needed to be done, guess what would happen? He would die. It was a scary day for the high priest. Uh, But but he would go through these rituals. And in fact, you know, the scriptures say he had bells on the hems of his garment. But tradition tells us that there would be a rope tied around his ankle. Why? Because if he went in there and he didn't follow everything that he was supposed to do, and he killed over and those bells stopped ringing, who was going to go in after him? I wasn't. You know, would would you go in after him? No. Uh, That's why they would tie cord around his ankle, tradition says, so that they could pull him out. Uh, if he happened to keel over. But, but again, he would go in with the blood of the sacrifice. And, and it said that people were not supposed to work. They were supposed to humble themselves. Now, that's traditionally understood to be fasting, but fasting is the form. It's not the function. You know, why did they fast? They fasted because they were supposed to be thinking about what the high priest was doing for them at the temple. You see, the Day of Atonement was a day of national atonement for Israel. Everyone was supposed to be thinking about how the high priest was paying for the price for their sins for that year. And their hearts and their minds were supposed to be tuned into that. That's what the Bible says. Unfortunately, Judaism finds a, a, a deep problem. Why? Why? Because there's no temple, right? The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Judaism had to sort of shift gears. So today, the way of atonement, according to the rabbis, is achieved through these three Hebrew words, tefillah, teshuva, and tzedakah. Uh, Tefillah is basically the word for prayer. Teshuva is the word for repentance. And tzedakah is the word basically for good works. And usually it's, it's a matter of giving to charity. Now, does that meet the requirements of the Day of Atonement scripturally? Does it? No. Uh, are, are good works required for the Day of Atonement? What kind of works should we do on the Day of Atonement? You shall do no work. Because when it comes to the paying the price of our sins, there's nothing we can do. Yet that's what the Day of Atonement has been all about in Judaism today. There's no high priest. There's no temple. There's no sacrifice. So it has become what we do to earn atonement. And it misses the mark. And you say, well, that's not fair because the Jewish people don't have a temple anymore. So what are they supposed to do? Well, what happened before the temple was destroyed? Let's look at the book of Hebrews. First of all, this is a good picture to look at. Uh, What's going on there? That's that's a rabbi, and he's swinging a chicken over his head. Now, I want you to understand, not all Jewish people do this. The vast majority don't. 
But among the ultra-Orthodox, there are those who do this. It's a tradition called kaparot. And he's swinging a chicken over the head because they are acknowledging that the scripture requires blood between them and God on the Day of Atonement. And the other things, the prayer, the good work, and the fasting isn't enough. So they have the swing. Now, God never called for the swinging of a chicken, right? But, but you see that they're acknowledging that something's missing and they needed to add something to the tradition so that there was blood between them and God. Uh, but what I want you to see is Hebrews 9, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Listen very carefully to this. And think of it in terms of what the high priest would do on on the Day of Atonement. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Listen, when the temple was standing, the high priest was a frail human being and year after year he would have to go through his own sacrifices for himself and these own ceremonial washings to purify himself before he could make these sacrifices for the people. And then he would go into a human holy of holies. But again, it's a man-made temple. It had to be purified because it wasn't perfect. And then he had to go with the blood of bulls and goats. And this was done year after year after year. What is Hebrews saying? That Jesus is our perfect high priest. That he went into the perfect holy of holies, the very presence of God, and that he went with the blood of the perfect sacrifice, his own blood. And because of that, he was able to do once for all what the high priest had to do year after year. So when the temple was destroyed... Judaism only had to look to Jesus because he fulfilled that day of atonement. He made atonement for us. He paid the price. And all we have to do is not do any work to earn that, but to be mindful, have our hearts tuned by faith to who he is and what he's done for us. That's the the day of atonement. The day of atonement speaks to redemption, and it's a redemption that's not earned by the things we do but what our perfect high priest has done for us. Okay, I think we're going to continue. Go back. Okay. Uh, The Feast of Trumpets is a call to repentance. The Day of Atonement speaks of redemption. The Feast of Tabernacles calls us to rejoice. And we continue on in Leviticus 23. Starting at verse 33, again the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month is the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, for seven days to the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work of any kind. And then he again says in verse 39, And exactly the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days, with a rest on the first day and the rest on the eighth day. Basically, the Feast of Tabernacles was a feast of thanksgiving. Listen, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. I don't know anything about harvest. Uh, But you guys can relate to that a whole lot better than, than I can. 
And, and listen, the harvest is done. All the work has been done. That's a huge burden off of your shoulders. It is a time to praise God and thank Him for the way that He's provided. It only makes sense, right? So it's that opportunity to thank God for His provision. Verses 40 and 41. Now, on the first day, you shall take for yourself the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches, and, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Now, it talks about the different trees and, and what they... Uh, they would gather them together. Basically, within Judaism today, this is what it looks like. Uh, and what the rabbis will do is they'll wave those, those branches and those fruits to the north, to the south, to the east, and the west, up and down. Why would they do that? Because they're acknowledging that this is not only a time of thanksgiving that God has provided for us, but really this holiday speaks about the idea that God is king. God is king over all the earth, and he has provided for the needs of all the earth. So it's not just a matter of acknowledging that God is the one who provides for our needs, but he has provided for everyone's needs. Again, that, that verse talked about the idea of rejoicing. And, and during this Feast of Tabernacles, there would be a, a certain water ceremony. This isn't biblical, but again, uh, this water ceremony would be done when the temple was standing where the... The high priest would have ornate garb that he put on and he would have this, this gold pitcher and they, he would lead this procession uh, out of the temple gates to the, the pool of Siloam. If you remember in the scripture in the book of John, a healing took place there. But they would go to this pool, they would take up this pitcher of water and be dancing and singing and, and, and take it back to the temple and pour it out on the altar before the Lord, basically thanking God for the provision of water that would allow the crops to grow. Uh, in fact, the rabbis would say is that you have never experienced joy unless you experience the water drawing ceremony in Jerusalem at this Feast of Tabernacles. So you get the picture of how important this was and how joyful it was. Well, in John chapter 7, I don't have a, the, the reference here, John chapter 7, uh, verse 37 it says, Jesus is at the temple at this Feast of Tabernacles. And it says, on the last day, the great day of the feast, and keep in mind, this water ritual has been going on day after day. It gets to the last day, Jesus stands up and cries out in a loud voice, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Do you see what Jesus did there? He said, listen, you're thanking God for this water, and that's all well and good, but there's a thirst in your soul that this water will never satisfy if you know and understand that thirst, then you need to come to me. I'm the only one who could satisfy that thirst. Uh, and, and that's in line with this holiday. Verses 42 and 43, you shall live in booths. Again, this is the main point of the holiday. That's where it gets its name. You shall live in these temporary shelters for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So, you know, think of it. In fact, you don't have to think about it. 
Look at some of these pictures here. You know, this is a, a, a typical booth. It's a temporary dwelling. It has branches on top. Sometimes it has fruit hanging down inside of it, and people would take their meals in there. Sometimes they would even spend the night in there. But, but why would God do this? Why would God have them do this? To remember the wilderness wanderings. Uh, a couple of trivi- trivial points here. One, not really trivial. Uh, if you think of the holiday calendar, what was the first holiday? It was the Passover. You notice that's ending the same way it began, with the Passover and the wilderness wanderings. So remembering the, the, the wilderness wandering, and what are they remembering? How they needed to live in temporary shelters. Listen, listen to this. When they were wandering in the wilderness, God provided everything. He provided water. He provided the manna. He provided quail. He provided so that their clothes did not wear out for 40 years. They had to live in these temporary shelters. Why? Because the, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire might get up and start moving at any time, and they had to break camp and follow. But it was a time where they were totally dependent upon God. God is basically telling them, listen, you're going to get into the land And you might start thinking when you start planting and harvesting that it's all about you and what you do. I mean, in New York and and South Florida, it's even worse because we don't plant, we just harvest. We just walk into the grocery store, grab a can off the the counter, and and, and there we are. But he says, you might think it's all about you and what you've done. Listen, even now, I'm the one who provides for all your needs, God says. And you need to build these booths to remember that you need to be totally dependent and reliant upon me. Do you hear what I'm saying there? Uh, God is the one who provides for us. He provides for our needs physically. He provides for our needs spiritually. Uh, in New York and Israel, if you can't build a booth out in the open, because there isn't a lot out in the open, you know, this is what the booths look like. But again, the, the need to, to build the booth is there, and, and many Jewish people, especially among the Orthodox, still do that. Now, I want to close by talking about a couple of things. One, uh, the idea that the feasts are God's timeline. Remember we said the first thing he talked about is the Sabbath and how God has the right to set the times and and the seasons. If you read that passage, it says these are God's, it depends upon the translation, some say these are God's feasts, these are God's appointed festivals, these are God's appointed times. Uh, the, the word in the Hebrew is the word moed, and it really focuses on the idea of appointment, appointed time or appointed place. It doesn't really necessarily pertain to feasts. Why do I say that? Because these feasts are not only Israel's holidays, but they're Israel's timeline for history. I want you to understand that. We talked about Passover and Passover pointing to Jesus' death. First fruits pointing to Jesus' resurrection. The Feast of Weeks pointing to the beginning of the church, a first fruit of a different kind. Now listen, I didn't make that happen. I didn't squeeze these things together to make it fit. The scripture makes it very, very clear that these things just line up perfectly. Then there's a summertime of harvest between the spring and the fall, and the first of the fall feast is the Feast of Trumpets. Listen, as believers, what do we wait for? We wait for a trumpet call, right? I believe the scripture in the Old Testament doesn't talk about why we blow the trumpet because it's looking to something future that people in Israel at that time couldn't understand. But we can. 
We think of that passage in First Corinthians, where I mean First Thessalonians, where it says, "The trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive will be caught up with them in the air, and so we will be with the Lord always." Uh, it looks forward to the end of the harvest and that trumpet call uh, when Jesus returns. Then there's the Day of Atonement. And listen, we can look at Hebrews 9 and say, well, listen, Jesus fulfilled that already, didn't he? But understand the nature of the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a day of national atonement for Israel. Right? That hasn't happened yet. And it says, after that rapture, there's the time of tribulation, and, and I personally believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, not because I think it's important for us to, to escape tribulation. To be honest, as we live our lives today as believers, we face tribulation all the time. Uh, there are martyrs throughout the world now because of their faith in Jesus that aren't escaping tribulation in any way, shape, or form. So it's not me wanting to escape the tribulation. God is changing his focus back from the Gentiles to Israel as a nation, so he takes the church out of the way. There's a time of Jacob's trouble. There's a time of tribulation. And then there's a time, according to Zechariah, where all the nations of the world surround Jerusalem. And Jesus returns. His feet stand on the Mount of Olives. And he delivers his people. And in Zechariah 12.10, it says at this time that they will look upon me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. It's at that time that the Romans 11.26 will be fulfilled where it says all Israel will be saved. Not all Israel for all time, but all Israel that survives to that point in time and sees Jesus and realizes who he is and realizes how they missed the boat and they'll put their faith and trust in him and it will be a day of national atonement for Israel. Then we get to the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Feast of Tabernacles points to that future kingdom where God keeps his promises to Israel. I just want to look at a verse in Zechariah chapter 14. Then it will come about, in verse 16 it says, that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship who? The king. And we're not talking about Elvis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, this is Jesus. We'll worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate what? The Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember we talked about how the feast talks about how God is King over all the earth and He provides for the needs of all the earth? Well, one day all the earth is going to have to come up and worship the King and acknowledge His provision and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. It's important for me to mention that other verse that I just read. Because there's a lot of confusion about the end times when you talk to different people. People say, this end time stuff is so complicated. Why not just have Jesus come back? We're with him for all eternity. Easy peasy. It's good. Right? But we have to deal with the scripture. And what is the scripture saying here? That there is going to be a time when God himself, the king, in the person of Jesus, is ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, but there's going to be the possibility of disobedience. Do you see that? If any nation does not come up to Jerusalem, there will be no rain. 
If this is speaking about eternity, is disobedience a possibility? Absolutely not. There will be no sin. There will be no disobedience. Everything will be perfect. No more tears, no more crying, no more pain. But here, the possibility of disobedience exists. So this can't be eternity. This has to be that thousand-year period it talks about in Revelation chapter 20 where God fulfills his promises to Israel as a nation, then we can go into eternity. Uh, But again, I I point that out just to make it clear that this idea of a thousand-year kingdom on this earth uh, is something that we have to abide by if we're going to follow the scripture. The story of the fall feasts is a story of the gospel. Remember what we said the feast are about? The, the, the feast of trumpets is about repentance. The day of atonement about redemption. And the feast of tabernacles rejoicing. We have a, a world that likes to rejoice but doesn't want to think about the other things. But you can't get to the rejoicing without the repentance and the redemption. Uh, the question is, do we recognize our need for change? That's what repentance is, right? Recognizing our need for change. Our world doesn't think much in terms of sin, and repentance. But if you ask people, even the hardest atheist, if you look in the mirror and ask yourself, am I the person that I could or should be? What would their answer be? If they were being honest, they would say, I'm not. That's the nature of sin. We're not who we should be because we've rebelled against God. Uh, do we acknowledge Jesus as the only agent of ultimate change. When it comes to dealing with sin, there's nothing we could do. We can do no work. Jesus did all the work for us. We have to put our faith and trust in him. And then do we respond to him out of joy and gratitude? As, as we close, I just want to ask a couple of questions of you. One, have you come to a place where you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as the one who died for your sins? Uh, this is so important. Uh, I deal a lot with Jewish people, and different people have so many weird thoughts about the Jewish people. Some say that they don't deserve salvation because they rejected their Messiah. They had their chance. The Scripture doesn't say that that's so. We all need Jesus. God has not forgotten his people. There's going to be that future time where God keeps his promises. There is still a remnant today, Paul says. But there are also those who say the Jewish people don't need the gospel. Some would say that they're saved by some other means. But again, I would tell you, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father except through me, he was speaking to a Jewish audience. They need Jesus. We all need Jesus. If you put your faith and trust in him. I want you to think about the prophetic timeline. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the spring feast at his first coming. We're waiting for a trumpet call, right? Where does that put us now? We're in the time of harvest. We are in the time of harvest. Don't lose sight of that. Why does God still have us here on this earth? Why when we get saved, does he not just take us out of the picture and we're with him forever? Because there's work for us to do. And it's not just a matter of us getting together on Sunday mornings or having a chili cook-off. Chili cook-offs are good, don't get me wrong. But we're here to reach out to those who don't know him. We're to be Jesus' hands and voice to present the truth that Jesus paid the price so that they can have life. That's what we're supposed to be doing because the time is going to come where the harvest is going to come to a close 
with a trumpet sound? Uh, are we anticipating that trumpet sound? And are we, do we have a, a sense of urgency for those who don't know the Lord? And as you think about your responsibility to do that work of the harvest, again, remember the Jewish people. Remember our ministry in South Florida. Pray for the Jewish people. You may not know Jewish people, but you could still pray for them. Pray that God would open their eyes. Um, go on a short-term mission trip to reach out to Jewish people with the gospel. Uh, support a ministry like Chosen People Ministries. Listen, uh, there are a lot of good Jewish ministries out there. We tend to be neglected because the Jewish community seems to be such a small percentage of people as far as the world population. But I, I hope you understand that God has a special heart for them, and so should we. Uh, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, right? What's the next line? To the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. Uh, we can't forget our need. I came to know the Lord through Chosen People Ministries, and I'll close with this. Uh, for me, I'm on staff with Chosen People Ministries because I feel I have a debt to pay. Uh, I came to know Jesus through Jewish people sharing the gospel with me. And yet so many Jewish people don't know that truth. To be honest, we're all in that same boat. We would not be here today if those first century Jewish people were not faithful and sharing the gospel with Gentiles. We all have that debt to pay. And I would encourage you to pray how the Lord would put it on your heart to make a movement in that direction, whether it's prayer or going or giving. Let's have a quick word of prayer. Lord, again, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church and its willingness to listen. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. See if I caught the main idea from Jim's talk this morning. I think the main idea is we need to have us a good chicken swinging one of these days. Was that, did I catch it right? No. Oh, <laughs> try this then. People like to rejoice, but you can't get to the rejoicing without repentance and forgiveness. And when it comes, and we can't have forgiveness without atonement for sin. And when it comes to atonement, we can do no work. Jesus' work on the cross was the work we could not do to atone for our own sin so that we can get to the time of rejoicing. And until our time of rejoicing, we're in the time of harvest. Amen? Uh, visit with Jim back there. I'm going to ask the, the deacons to come forward and collect an offering during our last song. So I think I'll just have you sit down during our last song here while they collect this offering. We'll go ahead and, and sing with us.